0: Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more, because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. You guys doing good this morning? Awesome. Well, hey, I'm excited to jump in. I was uh, I was thinking about what it means to to take on as we go through like the character of God. What we're going to be talking about is, last week we spoke about c- the compassion of God, right? And for, for today's talk, it's one that actually pulls us into this idea of faith. And you know, I was, I was thinking in my own life, moments where God bestowed his, his grace and his favor. And I even, I called up my mom this past week as I was reading through these passages of scripture and, and doing my own study of this idea of this characteristic of god i was like mom i remember this moment when i was in a really low <clears throat> and how god really just showed his illogical because that's what grace is like it's not ty- it's not fair but it's just favor and for me if you grew up in the chino valley area um i went to anaborba fundamental school right that's where i went starting in kindergarten all the way into sixth grade. And you know, like when you're in elementary school, you start developing friendships, right? And you have your friends and they're, you know, you're hanging out with them and sometimes you go to their house and, and you build like this, this little ecosystem of a friend group. And then junior high comes, right? Well, for those who went to Annaborba, I would say 98% of the students that went there went to Briggs, right? Come on, Briggs. <laughs> And um, my brother, Zach, was six years older than me. So when I was in sixth grade, when I'm sorry, when I was in first grade, he was in sixth grade. So when he graduated, and a boy, but he went straight into Briggs. So he got the Briggs experience, right? And then from Briggs, the majority of people will end up going, not all, but the majority will go to Don Lugo, right? <laughs> so for me, I had already, ha- already knew that my friends were all gonna go to Briggs. And so remember, if you could go back to when you were in sixth grade, right? Really impressionable, your friends are like everything, you're right at that like junior high age. And I I got this news that I was not allowed to go to Briggs. And it crushed me. Like as a sixth grader, remember, I was a year older, so I'm almost positive that when I was in sixth grade, I was close to 13 years old. I was probably 12 Gonna be 13, or I might have just turned 13, because when I graduated, I was 19. So my mom did that on purpose, I think. So anyway, it's because I was a mama's boy, and so she's like, "I need you to be a little, you know, be a little older when you're in there, you know." That's a whole psychology thing from James Dobson. Anyway, anyway, um, I remember I was devastated, and all of my friends went to Briggs, and I was broken, and. It was because every single year, you've been to my house if you have, we live in Montclair District. So every year, my mom, bless her heart, honestly, this is a mom's heart, she would go every single year to the district and contend that I stay in Chino District. That was a lot of work for her. Like every single year, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, she would say, hey, I want my son to go into Chino, but they, they, they didn't like that because I was in Montclair District, okay? So this particular year, I was put on a wait list at Briggs. And then I was already told, you can't get into Briggs. So then they wanted me to go to Ramona Junior High. (laughs) Some of you went to Ramona, right? But that was not good news for me because I didn't know anyone at Ramona. and My mom didn't want me to go to Ramona. And so I remember just being so broken. I didn't know what I was going to do. All of my friends were gone. And so then my mom goes to contend. And it's a long story. Person after person, she would speak to six or seven different people in the district. And finally, she got me into Magnolia Junior High. And I remember my mom said she would pray for someone. God, just please bring someone in Sammy's life that would just help him. She even went to church and was so broken for me that she got a word, hey, you need to fast for three days. Because she was afraid that I was going to go into Montclair District. And so then I got into Magnolia Junior High, right? That's called favor. It doesn't make sense. It wasn't fair. And I met this person, and she became a really good friend of mine. She, like, welcomed me in front of everybody. And then I missed a bunch of days because I was getting sick a lot. Now, back then, if you missed, you were in a lot of trouble. But because I was at a district, they wanted to kick me out again. So when I was going into eighth grade, at the end of the year, I was telling my mom, yeah, mom, I'm I'm starting to really enjoy it. You see, the reason my mom knew it was a bad time is because those junior high years are very formative. They're incredibly formative to your development, to how you view God, to how you view others. And so then as I was going into eighth grade, I got basically put on the list again, and they were going to kick me out of the district. And my mom goes in, and there's this really nasty, mean lady. And she's like, I'm sorry, we're not going to see anyone. And so then she sent my mom away. And my mom was praying, I don't know what to do, God. What do I do? Sam's got to get back into Magnolia. And then she sent my brother heard about it, Paul. And he's like, no, I'm going down to the district now. And my brother goes down, and he says, hey, he contends on my behalf. And I was, my mom was telling me this story. Now that I'm 30, I was like, I was emotional because it's like, man, this was a whole family and God thing. They cared that much for me. And my brother goes and speaks to a woman, and she, she calls my mom and says, I have never met a young man that cared this much for his younger brother. We're going to do everything we can. And so then I was able to get in. But you know what's crazy about that story? I was so bummed I didn't get to go to Briggs. But I would never have met Kelly. I wouldn't have. And I, I was learning some, I was As I was looking at this story, I'm like, man, that's how God is, though. You don't know what's going on in your circumstance. Yeah, I know I was a young kid. I was only in sixth grade going to seventh. But it's those formative years that God is doing something. It was my mom and dad putting God first, praying, fasting on my behalf. And God was doing something in the background. And that is what grace and favor is. So what I want to talk to you today about is this idea of grace and favor. Grace and favor. You see, the scripture says what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn around for good. The reason why I wanted to share that story is because you need a story of hope. Everyone needs to be reminded of our testimony that produces faith. That should stir up some faith in you. In fact, I know because of what the scripture says that you could be doing all of the right things and it still doesn't seem like God is, quote, helping. But if you look at the scripture over and over and over again, you look at the story of Joseph. He was doing everything right. Why wasn't he getting the grace or the favor of God? He was put in a pit. He was, put, he was kicked out of Potiphar's house, accused of rape. Then he was thrown in jail. And then finally, like a bamboo, he, he sprouted up. And then he was second in command, and he had favor with Pharaoh. So you can't tell me, well, when bad things happen, it's because you're like not doing something right. That's not always true. God is doing something in the, in the back scenes of your life. He's producing something within you because God cares more about what's happening in you than what happens outside of you. I wanna say that again because I don't want you to miss this. God cares more about the development inside of you than what is taking place outside of you because what good is it to be appointed next to Pharaoh And not have internal strength. And not have a fortitude of a mindset. That's why Joseph was able to lead an entire nation when they were about to go into famine and drought. He's like, no, 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 I got this. I have been prepared all of my life. I know what it's like to be in the pit. I know what it's like to be on the floor. I can rise from this because I know who my God is. And the scripture says that through Joseph, the land of Egypt was prosperous. That's grace and that's favor there's this word in the old testament i want to give it to you in the old and the new but the word for grace in the old testament is ken can you say ken ken k-h-e-n that is favor from god and it was a grace okay let's look at the story of exodus again because i want to pull out this characteristic it says this in exodus 34 4 through 14 this is our main passage of scripture on the characteristics of god it says so moses chiseled out two stone tablets after he destroyed the first ones because when he came down from the mountain the people of god had already moved their mindset and their eyes away from god they were worshiping a golden calf already so moses was so angry he broke the tablets he's like These people do not care about God. They are not obedient to God. It's like as soon as things get hard for these people, they go to another God. Ouch. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. Can I give a side note on that? I have met people that things weren't going well for them. God-fearing people. Things are not going well, and they just want an idea of the future want an idea of the future and then they settle because the enemy comes and lies why don't you go to that palm reader why don't you go to that person why don't you get some cards and check out your destiny and that's what it means to worship other gods it just looks different in our day and age but it's the same lowercase god so that is called idolatry you shall not have any other gods other than yahweh And so when things get hard for us, we just need to step into fortitude. We need to know that God is going to be with us in the wilderness. We can't, quote, leave our old way with God to just say, I need a momentary, instant gratification. So it says, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets for the first ones, and he went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning. As the Lord had commanded him, he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate God. We talked about that last week. And gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He's the God of justice. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So if you try to describe what God is like, it could be incredibly difficult or even daunting. Like, imagine you go in front of an atheist and they're like, describe God to me. Be hard, right? It's like, what do you say? This was, this was the description that the Israelites or the Hebrews over and over and over again would explain. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger overflowing with love and faithfulness that was the god of the old testament that is the god of the new testament he is the alpha and the omega he is the beginning of in the end these are the characteristics of god so if they're the characteristics of god we as disciples should probably take on the characteristics of god for our own life could you say that about you that you're compassionate and gracious Only when you want to be, though, right? (laughs) That you're slow to anger. That you're overflowing with love and faithfulness. So we're going to look at the second key word in this statement, gracious. Can you say gracious? gracious? Gracious. It sounds good to say, right? But oftentimes, even for those that have been walking with Jesus for many years, that might not be a characteristic that someone else would describe about them. Oh, they're gracious, they're filled with grace. You see, the Hebrew word is canon, which is re- related to the Hebrew noun, ken. This word, ken, is often translated as grace, or I like this word more, favor, favor. And if you study how this word is used throughout the Bible, you'll find a fascinating story. The first depiction of ken is that it is a gift given in delight. It's, it's like Christmas morning, Right? You, your children did not deserve it, but you give it to them anyway. It's a gift, and you're, you're so filled. And notice on Christmas, like, we love to, see, at least me, now that I have children, I love to see when my children or when Lenya opens up a gift. Right? The, the excitement, right, that takes place. So one meaning of Ken is delightful or favorable. In the Psalms, a skilled poet is said to have the lips of Ken in the, pro, in the Psalms. That is that he can craft beautiful words that bring delight. Or a dazzling piece of jewelry is an ornament of Ken. It draws you in, right? Watch this. It attracts, Ken or grace attracts attention and favor. That's the description of the Hebrew word. That ken attracts attention and favor this is why ken is often the word used to describe a gift given with delight so in these cases ken would be translated as grace so in psalm 40 2 it says you are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace that's ken right there since god has blessed you forever proverbs 1 8 through 9 says listen my son to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching they are garland to ken to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck take it on put it around who you are that is what wisdom is that is what grace is it's like everywhere you go you attract delight there was a woman in the scriptures who is sold basically as a sex slave. I don't know if you knew this. Many, many don't know this. She was sold. The, the Babylonian Empire took over. The Persian Empire now reigns. And so there is this woman in the scripture, which by the way, this book is the only book that the word God is not mentioned, but he's all over the pages. And so what happens is there's this young woman and she's kind of sold into slavery so that the king could find his next wife the next queen, and so this woman continued, if you read the story, continued to have Ken before man and the king over and over, and she was gracious, she was like a Proverbs 31, she was a virtuous woman, she knew her worth, she was confident, she wasn't just beautiful externally, she was beautiful internally, could you imagine that type of Ken attracting yourself to a king? That was Ruth in the scriptures. I'm sorry, that was Esther in the scriptures. Esther did this. So later, she approaches the king of Persia to ask that she and her people be spared from death. The Jewish people, the Israelites, were about to be ambushed by one of the king's men. And so she goes and contends. But because she had Ken before the king, the king brought in her request and said, all right, we're not going to do that. That is the definition of favor. It doesn't make sense. I like to say it, many pastors call it, and I love saying it like this, "Favors not fair. It's not fair. Like, don't, don't judge me. Don't get upset with me. This is just the favor of God. I didn't do it. God just gave it to me. So when you're successful in your journey of life and God just keeps promoting you and then you have that job interview and you're kind of stressed about the interview and then you just get it over and over and over again, that's called favor. And then your friends are like, well, that's not fair. I have more credentials than you. I'm doing more stuff than you. Why did you get it and I did it? It's just called favor, baby. (laughs) It's the favor of God it delights into others god's the one who sees god's the one who knows the desires of your heart god's the one that sees you on your knees crying before him praying for a husband one day god sees all of those things and when you are precious in his sight when you show compassion when you take on the characteristics of god sometimes it's just ken it's grace and favor and it's illogical and it doesn't make sense but Why is it that there is an entire Old Testament of books that constantly echo this word? Oh, they just had ken. Oh, it was the ken of God. It was the grace of God. It was the favor of God. This was a vocabulary language to the people of God. Could you imagine saying that often? I don't know, man. It's just just favor. (laughs) I don't know how we did this, but it just had to have been the grace of God. So, Esther calls this a request for Ken, and because the king delights in Esther, he favors her and grants her wish. So giving a gift of favor is Ken because it's motivated by delight. Does that make sense? This grace or favor is motivated by delight, so the king was delighted to bestow this favor over Esther. The most extreme kind of Ken is, watch this, this is extreme. You ready for this one? It's showing favor to someone who should get what they deserve. Not a generous gift. (laughs) Do you have that type of Ken? Well, that's the type of Ken that God has for you. My friend, honestly, none of us really deserve the goodness of God. By definition, I'm, I'm... like, even, Cal- I'll say this, if you know theology, Calvinists say this all the time, and it kind of makes me a little un- 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 uneasy. It's like, you deserve damnation. You deserve hell. You deserve all these horrible things. And yeah, that's true. But like, why is it that God calls us precious? Why is it that he calls it? he's delighted. Why would he come down to an earth for y- your behalf? Why would God send his son when he was already good in heaven? It's because he had compassion for his people, his creation, and it was Ken that drew him. It was grace that drew him. So for me, it's like when, when I look at God in my life, or maybe you look at God in your life, and you're, you receive a grace or a gift, honestly, you probably didn't deserve it. That's when it's favor that God gave you that was undeserved, but he gave it to you anyway. So thank God that we serve a God of grace. He's a gracious God. In fact, Moses contends on Israel's behalf. And if we can say it this way, he's contending on our behalf. Because if it wasn't for the people of Israel, God wouldn't get his story through. Then there wouldn't have been Jesus. Then there wouldn't have been the crucifixion. But what God does is he's so upset with the people, with the Israelites, because he just gives the Ten Commandments. And one of them was, do not have any other gods. Things got hard for them. And they're worshiping this golden calf. And Aaron participates in it, the priest. And Moses goes and speaking to God, and he's coming back, and he's so angry at the people. God is angry, and Moses says, hey, God, I know that you love these people. Would you show grace to us? Would you just give us another chance? And so Moses contends, which, by the way, Moses is a depiction of Jesus in the Old Testament, so it is undeserved favor. Like Jacob, who cheated his brother Esau, by the way, ran away and then after 20 years wants to come back and make things right. Could you imagine in the Old Testament, it's harder to explain, but in the Old Testament, if you were the oldest brother, you were, deserved the birthright of the father. All of his inheritance, all of his land, everything. There was an honor to be the firstborn son. You got everything your dad had. The second son didn't. So Jacob wants the inheritance of his brother Esau, and he gets it by a bowl of stew. He's like, hey, uh, Esau, if I give you this because Esau's really hungry, it's like a, the weirdest story in the Old Testament. <laughs> Esau's like, sure, man, you know, you can have my inheritance. Just give me, give me the, the bowl of stew. And so because of that, he gets the inheritance, and he lies to his dad, Isaac, for a bunch of different times, and the mom joins in on it, and there's a generational curse of lies throughout the family. Jacob then goes on his way, having the inheritance, he gets guilty and says, I need to make things right with my brother Esau. He knew he didn't deserve it, but he still goes to him. So he comes to Esau asking, may I find Ken in your eyes? Jacob isn't asking for what is fair, but he's asking for favor. And surprisingly, that's what Esau gives him. He chooses to delight in his brother Jacob and show him grace that he didn't deserve. Have you ever done that for somebody? They didn't deserve it. But you forgave them anyway. I mean, like they did you wrong. They hurt you. They backstabbed you. They spoke ill against your character. They did things to your family, whatever it is. And you still find it within you to show them grace. Well, my friend, that doesn't come from your humanity. That comes from God. That's called Ken. And it's favor that is undeserved, but you give it anyway. And you know why you should? Because he does it to you. So how dare us not forgive someone in our life when God forgives us every day? Every moment, he shows us Ken. Now, Ken requires a generous spirit, which people sometimes have, sometimes. But in the Bible, the one who shows more Ken than anyone else is God. Like when God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they quickly betray him by giving their allegiance to a golden idol, right? But then Moses, I said this, Moses steps in and asks God to consider giving a gift, but they don't deserve it. This character trait of God is so reliable that over 40 times in the book of Psalms, people cry out for God's ken when they're sick or in danger and when the Israelites are in exile. The biblical prophets like Isaiah looked back to God's ken in the past. God, you were gracious then. You were faithful to us then. Show your grace. Like I pray that way, by the way. Because if Isaiah did it, why why can't I? Right? When I'm going through a storm and I'm in a wilderness, I remind God, but really I'm reminding me. I'm like, God, your word says that you show grace. Your word says that you bestow favor. I just want to remind you, God, I'm here for the long haul. I'm not giving up. I'm planting my feet. I'm going to serve you no matter what. I'm going to do everything that I can to put you first in my life. And I'm just reminding you and I'm asking, could you show me some ken? Could you give me some grace, God? Could you give me some favor? And the reason why I pray that prayer is because the prophets would pray it. But you got to know the word. How would you know to pray that way unless you know how the people of God would pray? Over and over and over, especially Isaiah, he would pray that. And he would boldly declare that God will one day show Ken to his people. Now, this is the beauty. Isaiah knew that God did it then, but he also knew that God would do it again. If God has showed Ken in your life, grace in your life, favor in your life, why would you think twice that he wouldn't show it again? He is the God of grace and favor. So there's nothing wrong with reminding yourself, your mental capacity, the fortitude within you, the spirit within you. There's nothing wrong with reminding your spirit, this is who my God is. So I'm gonna keep standing and keep fighting and keep moving forward because God is a God of grace. If he did it then, he'll do it again. So when we turn to the authors of the New Testament now, they describe God's can with the Greek word charis. Charis, which means gracious gift. Okay, so it's a little bit different, but it's still the same. Of favor, now it's a gracious gift. A gracious gift is this perfect depiction. When introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus is God's glorious charis become human. That is Jesus. That when we're looking at the depiction It's not only just Jesus is compassionate, put in flesh and bones, but he's also a glorious gift to humanity, put in flesh and bones. That is who Jesus is. That is his characteristic, that is his way, that is his cadence, that is who Jesus is. He was sent into a world of people trapped in darkness and death. Could we all agree that there's moments where we're trapped in darkness and death? Especially like our BC before Christ days. Some of you are like, well, I'm right in between the BC. (laughs) There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of our uncertainty. There's not just sins of the flesh, there's sins of the mind. There's brokenness that is external and brokenness that is internal. And so in our before Christ days, we, we find ourselves in a lot of darkness because we're trying to find ease for that hole within our soul. And I'm convinced the only one that can fill and bring wonder is the glorious gift of Jesus because he is charis to us he's grace because according to the apostle Paul we're like the living dead right God has handed humanity over to the destructive consequences of our selfish decisions can I make just a side note the scripture says in the book of Romans that if you continue to repeat your sin or your sins, and you're like living in it and loving it, and then you call yourself, God, give me Ken, give me grace, at some point, it is not a license to sin. Does that make sense? Because I was, I was bought this lie, and I, I got the lie from the enemy. And you know what the lie was? Well, the, the book of Romans shows over and over and over again that I have grace. So what I would do is I would go knowing I was going to sin, And then I'd be like, well, God, your word says in Romans that you give me grace. That's a dangerous place to be because you know what you're doing is wrong. You're doing it anyway. The scripture says in the book of Romans that over enough time, he will give you away to those destructive patterns. All right, so he's talking about. Uh, God, God's rich in mercy by his charis he's rescued of. He's talking about how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are offered to us as a generous gift of life that is more powerful than death. And as with any gift, all one has to do is receive it. Did you know that? All you got to do to receive God's ken and God's charis is just receive it, man. Like, what are you holding on to? Why are you so afraid to receive the goodness and the love and the mercy and the joy and the wonder of God? So now you can see the biblical authors talk so much about this description of God's character throughout the Bible. When people are willing to own their failures, hear me out on this. When people are willing to own their failures and ask God for Ken, he has a consistent and gracious and generous response. Always, God gives the gift of himself, his life, his way to you and I. And it's Jesus. It's the spirit of God. It's the father. It's the triune God. You see, we serve and follow and obey a gracious God, a God of favor. It's not fair. It's so unfair, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical. A God who gives us favor. A God who has given us the gift of life and access to the mind of Christ. Did you know you have that access? You and I have access to God's mind, Paul says. You have access to the mind of Christ. We serve a God that doesn't just give us blessings because we did, quote, good. Did you hear that? That hurts for, like, legalistic people. You could be doing all the wrong things. And God will still bless you. And it's like, that's not fair. Uh, I've been doing all these things, Dad. And my brother goes off and just does whatever he wants and goes and squanders everything and goes who buys all this stuff. And he ruins your entire inheritance that you've given him. And now you're going to throw a party for him because he's home? That's a legalistic experience. I don't want none of that stuff here. No. The father says, son, you're good, Right? You've been obeying me, you've been walking me, but why can't we rejoice your brother's home? Why can't we rejoice that another's home? He's my son. I don't care what you say, I'm going to rejoice. So get the fattened calf, get the biggest fat calf that we can find and we're going to slaughter it on behalf of saying thank you God. That's how they did in the Old Testament. Get the, biggest, get the biggest offering we can give and give it back to God and say, God, you are so good. You showed Ken to me and my family, my son that was gone. He's lost, but now he's found. That is the grace of God, my friend. And I didn't make that story up. It's found in Luke chapter 15. The prodigal son, the brother gets upset. We don't talk about the second brother often. I don't need to be that brother. You don't need to be that brother. You don't need to judge people. We have enough of that in our culture. We have enough of that in our society. It is not your job to judge the little speck when you got a log in your eye. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just stay in my lane with God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to live my life for God. I'm going to depend on him and only him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to get my knees down before him. And if my brother comes along, come on, man, let's keep going. Let's conquer the kingdom of heaven together. Let's be victorious. I know you're all messed up. Let's just wipe off all your dirt. God does a lot of things with messy people. Let's move forward. That's the ken, the graciousness that we need as a community. It's not fun being around a Christian who's just judgmental all the time, angry and upset. Man, bro, you need some can in your life. Get that stuff away from me. Be gracious. Be loving. Be kind. If people could look at your story and we could put it on a screen every little moment, you're like, well, brother, I'm good externally. Well, then let's go inside your spirit and see what you think and what you process. And when times get hard and difficulties come, where do you go? And that's the journey I'm on. God's saying, Sam, do you have the fortitude to keep pushing forward? Do you really trust me? I heard that. I heard God speak it so clear in the back when we were worshiping because it was fun. It's cool to have a lot of people in the room, right? It kind of feels cool. It kind of feels fun. There's like a vibe in here. Haley's getting all excited. We're worshiping God. The people of God are in the room. Those who are down and sick and hurting have hope. And I'm in the back room in my own mind, in my own mindset. And God says, Can you just trust me? Can you just put your faith in me? Do you believe in the God of the Bible? Do you believe the stories of old? Sam, put your trust in me. And that's, you need to hear that too. Do you believe in the God of the Bible? That he's compassionate and that he's filled with grace that he gives you favor that no man can take away no person can rob you of that is the grace of God watch this we serve that gracious God the God that I serve the God that you serve that's our king and his name is Jesus he's a king He owns all of it, by the way. He owns all the cattle on the hill. He can do it in a moment, but he's making you understand you need to process, you need to grow, you need to develop, because it's not just about the external, it's about the internal. I truly believe with every fiber of my being that God wouldn't explode our church with growth unless we could handle it. God's not going to bless your business unless you can handle it. God's not gonna bless the things that you're asking Him to bless unless you have the mental and spiritual and healthy fortitude to move forward. Because if you get it, do you just say, thanks, God? And you just do your own thing. And it gets really hard and the storms come. Oh, God, you know, I know I was asking you for that thing and now I got it and it's been like five years, but I'm back, God. I'm back. How do you think that makes the Father feel? It grieves him he'll still show you grace though but I don't want that to be my story I want to be with God in every season in every turmoil and every hard time and all the good times and the joy and the laughter when we're celebrating as a church and there's x amount of people in the room to where there's two people it doesn't matter because God sees he's the God of Ken he's the God of grace he's the God of favor So I'm sorry to all those who think you got lucky. You didn't get lucky. You didn't get lucky, man. (laughs) No, you just have favor. I'll never forget I was driving home on the 71 freeway, passing those two kind of cool mountains on the right hand. It's like that big water thing. You know what I'm talking about? Where it says like the USA. I don't know. It's like the dam thing. Prado, yeah. And you're driving... And I was weeping, I was crying, because I was so exhausted, because I was working valet, I was coming home, Kelly was pregnant, we were planning the church, I was thinking about my sermon, and what I was going to say, it was a Sunday morning. And I went to work in the morning, I had to be there at 6am, and I knew we had service in the evening at 5, but we had to get there to set up and tear down at like 12, maybe it was like 2. And I remember I called my brother Paul, I said, man, I just want to give up, dude, this is so hard. He said, you know, Sam, you know it's funny? When, quote, God blesses the church, if he does one day, people will look back and say, oh, that young guy, he just got lucky. He just got lucky. He's like, no, man, these are the moments that you say, God, you can get me through this. You can move forward, Father. It's not anything that we have done. It's not anything that you have done. You need to work hard. You need to sweat. You need to turn the soil. We need to pick up the pipe and drape and put it on. Right, Brennan? And then the pipe and drape falls, and we go back and put it back up. And we're doing worship, and the sound machine turns off, and the projector turns off, and it's like, oh, God, what are we going to do? And you're sweating. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to preach in two minutes, and the microphone's not working. Right? I don't know. That was just an example. But I'll never forget what my brother said, and it just it gripped my soul. So I have this saying, you might not like it, but this is Sammy saying. It doesn't come from the Bible, it's just Sammy saying. It says the Greeks call it logos, because the Greeks call it logos. The logos of God, the logos. They wouldn't even call it the logos of God. John robbed that vocabulary from him and said, Jesus is the logos. It means everything. The Greeks call it the logos, Hindus call it Zen. Americans call it luck. But a man or a woman of God calls it favor. That's what a man or woman of God does. They say, this is favor. This is favor. Don't call it luck, man. That is not luck. This is the favor of God. This is God's grace. This is his mercy. I didn't deserve it. Yeah, I worked hard for it. I turned the soil for it. But the only one that can grow it is God. Your job and my job is to throw the seed, the scripture says. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. But throw the seed. It is not your job to grow it. That is God's job. So do everything in your power, yes, to work the ground. But at the end of the day, it's Ken. He is a God of grace. So right now, wherever you're at, I hope you needed to hear this. That God will bestow his grace to you, his mercy to you. If you feel you're in a place where you're like kind of dirty, you're in a right place then. Because God will wash you clean. He will set you free. He He does the greatest work with people from the dirt. Because we came from the dirt. He's not afraid to get in our mess. So allow the grace of God. Allow the compassion of God to move you. Towards a better future in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your favor. For your favor, God. For your grace and mercy over this church, over your people, over your family. God, I pray a blessing that you would multiply all of our hard work. Father, I pray for a supernatural Ken over this community. For every person, God, who walks and who works the ground and who serves, for every person on the team, every person that does things that is unseen, Father, would you supernaturally bless them with your favor? It doesn't make sense. It's illogical, but it's just the grace of God. God. I pray, Father, that it wouldn't just be prosperity. You're not interested in just making us money, God, but that you would enrich our soul, that you would enrich our mind, that you would devour and break any poverty mindset in this house, that you would lead us to still waters, God, that you would do all that you have called us to do, that you would speak life, and that we would respond with yes and amen. Father, just like you you spoke to Jeremiah and Jeremiah said, well, I don't know what to say. You said, just open up your mouth and I'll move. When you called Moses, Father, and Moses was terrified because he had a stutter. You said, use what you have. You have a brother. Use what's in your hand. You have a staff. Whatever it is you've called us to do, you will supply every need because you are a God of grace and favor. So we look to heaven and say, thank you, Father, for bringing the manna. And thank you, Father, not for the luck, but for the grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.